You're listening to FMGRadio.com. I welcome you to the Holistic Health Show. I'm Dr. Carl O'Helvey, your host. My first guest, Dr. Craig Weiner, is a licensed psychologist based in Worcester, Massachusetts, where he specializes in the treatment of children, adolescents, and families. He obtained his doctorate from Clark University in 1979. In addition to over 30 years of private practice, he is an assistant professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and clinical director of mental health services at Family Health Center in Worcester, where he supervises a large staff of clinicians, postdoctoral fellows, and pre-doctoral psychology and social work interns. He has taught in the psychology graduate department at Clark University and in the undergraduate psychology department at Worcester State University and Anna Marie College. Throughout his career, Dr. Weiner has questioned the growing tendency to make behavior problems medical disabilities. His groundbreaking work with ADHD shows that the behavior included in the ADHD diagnoses can become frequently due to reinforcement. He shows parents how to stop those reinforcements and alternatively develop their child's self-reliance and cooperation. Dr. Weiner is the author of three books on ADHD, and the first two are written for professionals. These books critique traditional views about ADHD and highlight the problems associated with traditional ADHD interventions. His third book, Parenting Your Child with ADHD, A No-Nonsense Guide for Nurturing Self-Reliance and Cooperation in 2012, gives parents a powerful new drug-free way to eliminate ADHD behaviors in an easy-to-read format. In 2010, Dr. Weiner presented his ideas about ADHD at the National Convention for Psychologists in San Diego, California. Over the past few years, he has presented at Wellesley College prestigious Stone Center, at the University of Massachusetts Medical School Grand Rounds, and at a biennial symposium for social workers. Since the publication of his parenting book, he has appeared on numerous radio and television shows. I welcome you to the Holistic Health Show, Dr. Weiner, and I look forward to hearing about ADHD. Now first, can you tell us what is ADHD? With a um, diagnostic category that people invented, and it's, it describes people who, well, if it's uh, for a child, it's usually um, more active than others the same age and more distractible and more impulsive, which is a, a, this means the youngster seems to do things that lead to problematic outcomes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those are the main symptoms that one has? Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a list of not sitting in the chair and uh, not paying attention when required to pay attention, not following directions, making careless mistakes. So you can see mm-hmm. there's lots of reasons why a person might be behaving in that way, but 
if they fit their category, then they're presumed to have some kind of a neurological problem. That's what's causing it. Mm-hmm. That was the popular belief system that is now permeated is that- the United States and the world. Mm-hmm. And how is ADHD typically managed and treated? Well, for years and years now, it's been stimulant medications, which essentially get people more focused on what's going on around them and uh, therefore more likely to do tasks that other people uh, expect. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is the families are told the person has a deficiency in being able to control or self-manage so that they have to manage more for the person, uh, a tighter, more stringent discipline, more reminding, more directing, more overseeing. So you've got medication and increased management by others to compensate for this supposed neurological deficiency. Mm -hmm. And do you have concerns about the current and popular interventions and treatments? Well, very much so, because mainly because uh, medications seem to work at the beginning, but the studies are showing that over longer periods of time, they're really not faring very well. Mm -hmm. And once you decide a person is unable to control themselves and they must be managed by others, you essentially abandon abandoning efforts to teach them how to manage for themselves. So you really keep them stuck in that place mm-hmm. with once you assume something's wrong with them. And unfortunately then the person's forever dependent on you to do these compensatory activities. Mm-hmm. So the two treatments that work, of course they work quickly because if you direct somebody or force them or give them a stimulant medication you're gonna get an instantaneous result, but in the long run, it's not going to do very much. Mm-hmm. You're going to end up socializing a child much like they do in most institutions, which is um, rewards and punishments, and you know all the behaviors that go with institutional care. People learn how to sidestep and avoid and counteract other people's attempts to control them, and that's essentially what you get with uh, ADHD interventions if you do them as prescribed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And most of the people that are around the child at the age that they have this are the parents and the teachers, right? Yeah. And, and so they are mainly the managers of this treatment? And yes. Are they effective with their management or ineffective? Well, the problem is a lot of kids who end up getting this diagnosis are... Um, perhaps more difficult to socialize than other kids, maybe mm-hmm. because they have learning problems or language delays or motor problems or health problems. These are kids or more activity, higher activity levels, negative infant temperaments. That seems to make it more difficult for any parent. Mm-hmm. That's why it's, it's, it's not, to think of it as a um, pattern that gets reinforced over time, it's not a blaming of the caretakers. It's that you're more likely to evolve into this behavioral pattern if you are relatively difficult to socialize in the ways I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the problem for parents is what do you do with a kid that's negative infant temperament or more active than other kids? You have to spend most of your time trying to stop them from doing things that are going to end up in, uh, with a problem. Mm-hmm. So that you, it's unavoidable that you can get into this confrontation where you try to stop the child more often than other kids to from doing things that that lead to 
harm or something problematic. So to be effective means you may have to parent in very particular ways to help socialize kids who are struggling to make it in the world. Mm-hmm. If you have a kid that's language delayed, it's of course more difficult to coordinate with them. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, much harder to get cooperative patterns or self-reliance to evolve because mm-hmm. the kid ends up relying on other people more often and it gets to be a pattern in itself. Mm-hmm. So it is difficult for a lot of the ki- a lot of these kids who have some other problems to socialize them. And uh, it's hard for a teacher who requires conformative behavior. Mm-hmm. The teacher has to manage 30 kids and just one teacher, so the teacher has to deal with compliance, and if the youngster's not uh, willing to or not hasn't patterned to cooperate and accommodate to somebody else's agenda, then these teachers have a hard time. Mm-hmm. Un- unfortunately, it's hard to get a, a positive relationship with a kid who um, wants to get extra attention or is struggling to meet expectations and therefore more likely to avoid the tasks that the teacher wants the child to do because the tasks are associated with failure, criticism sense of inadequacy. These, these kids end up learning avoidant behaviors. Mm-hmm. Dr. Weiner, what do you see as a better alternative for treatment and interventions? So the problem for me is going to be how do you teach these kids more self-reliance and how do you teach them to cooperate rather than just increase coercion on them because that's going to, and that's going to get you too many side effects. So the problem is you I'd like to think you can try to do these things without meds if possible because of the side effect possibilities and you don't really want to rely on the stimulant medications to create uh, task immersion because you want the child to learn to be interested without the boost of a stimulant. Mm-hmm. You want to get them interested in the things you want them to do. So you want to make it, you make the child see the, the, the joy or success that goes with doing certain kinds of activities. And the question is how do you do that when the child's got a associations of failure or disapproval or prob- or limitations associated with certain kinds of uh, situations and tasks. So I, I, I wrote a parenting book to help people learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. Most of it has to do with managing the child in such a way where you're increasing the child's consent to participate rather than coerce them to participate. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to identify the reasons for their lack of participation. So instead of going at this thing as if you're just trying to compensate for a neurological problem, I'm saying that, gee, there's, there's, these kids are learning certain kinds of responses to certain kinds of content and material because they don't have the same ADHD behaviors when it has to do with something they initiate and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get them to learn to want to initiate and enjoy the things and tasks and expectations that go with normative social behaviors. Mm-hmm. And is that better than for the child? Well, in the long run, I like to think so because you, you don't run the risk of the side effects of the meds and you end up training the child in, in such a way that the child is more likely to do what you would hope that they would do even when you're not there. because. When you're, when you're inducing a behavior through coercion, if you're not around to administer the punishment or the prize, why would anybody do it? They, mm-hmm. The studies show that people don't do things once you add a punishment or a prize because they learn to do it in relation to the punishment and the prize. Mm-hmm. And that's only as good as, as your involvement. 
So as a parent, you want to help the kid learn behaviors that the child will learn to do away from you because you're trying to teach them to fly from the nest mm-hmm. so they can learn to be okay without you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're training this kind of dependency. And these are, these are a whole set of kids that rely on others to fulfill responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a big mistake to buy into the notion that they're unable to learn self-management. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, Dr. Weiner, what can parents do to more positively address and reduce the ADHD behavior? They can uh, get a relationship with the child is the first thing, because uh, discipline has to do with the kind of relationship you're formatting with the, kid, with the youngster. These kids behave very differently from one adult to the next, depending on what's going on and what's what's happening. Mm-hmm. So that if there's a problem in the relationship, you want to talk about it and resolve it, so that both people remain relatively comfortable in their interactions with each other. We all know that we respond differently when we're happy with each other versus when we're upset with each other. Because then you get less avoidance, less antagonism, less rushing. Who's going to get there first, rather than the notion of how do you how do you take turns. All the behaviors that these kids are not doing have to do with a relationship about who's going to wait, who's going to get their turn, who's afraid they're not going to get taken care of, who's afraid they're going to get left out, who's afraid they're going to lose. And you've got to resolve all these kinds of anxieties for people, and mm-hmm. then they learn to behave very differently. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's not an easy answer because, of course, controlling somebody is a lot easier than cooperating mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. But parents can learn to do this if they explore ways to speak with the child so that the child sees that you're talking with the child, not at the child, and you're trying to promote the child's willingness to to take care of you, take your point of view, you're taking care of each other, you're not coercing each other, you're not creating, inducing anxiety so that you do things based on fear, you're doing things based on some notion of the benefit to behave in a particular way with each other. So it's a whole different way to... Um, Raise a, raise a child if, you, mm-hmm. if they're patterned historically or culturally to use um, coercion or fear as a way to induce behavior. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that the teachers have large, large groups of children that they're responsible for. Would they be able to carry this out, or would it work better in a special classroom where the teacher had fewer students and had more time to spend with them? Well, it's always easier to maintain relationships in smaller groups because each person in the group has more more discretionary authority. But once you get into large groups, the individuals lose their mm-hmm. importance relative to the group. That's one of the problems with large groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's always it's always better if you have to manage large numbers of groups. You're still going to have to figure out how do you get the class cooperating with you and responding to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how do you keep a relationship with the kids in the class? Uh, teachers can can learn to um, pay attention to uh, these kinds of variables, even if they're managing a standard size class. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is, while the kids acting out and not cooperating and disrupting other people, you you have to make a decision about uh, do you you uh, remedy the problem for the other kids or you. Tr- and then you ostracize the kid who's acting out, but then the question is, who, for whose benefit are you doing the intervention? So it's always a situation to figure out on a case-by-case basis, but uh, one of the problems with 
putting all the kids who act out in the same place is that they teach each other to continue to do the negative behaviors rather than they learn to behave like uh, the other kids. Mm -hmm. So there's always a mixed bag for what decision to make. Mm -hmm. uh, I, my sense is that teachers can learn about things that they do that make it problematic for students. Like if you embarrass a child in front of their peers, what's going to happen with your relationship with, the te with, with that student? And is that student going to be more likely to antagonize mm -hmm. you and disrupt your classroom because they're upset with the way you treated them or the way you criticized them? So it's a very subtle thing. Relationships are very subtle. They can get disrupted very easily. And, and, and um, they, it's, it's important for people to understand what goes on in a relationship that is disruptive or facilitates cooperation. So I try to help parents and teachers learn to pay attention to these kinds of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, doesn't this sometimes continue on into adulthood? Well, very much so, because if you think about it, most of the things we learn to do as kids or the patterns we're doing as children, we just continue those behaviors. They get reinforced or intimately reinforced. and We're not always aware of uh, what even patterned our behaviors, but we keep doing them. So the ADHD kids who used to be hyperactive and monopolizing attention, mm -hmm. they often evolve into, they don't do hyper behaviors anymore, they're more avoidant behaviors. So you go from behaviors that elicit more um, attention mm -hmm. and uh, to behaviors that are more avoidant of responsibility. So I like to think of it as, uh, at first it starts off, I want more than you're giving me, and it, and it ends up with, I don't want to do what you're trying to make me do. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that's a, the the adult with um, ADD, they drop the hyperactivity part. Mm -hmm. That's a, usually a, somebody that's not fulfilling expectations or responsibilities. They're, then they, they're losing jobs. They're not being on time. They're forgetting things that they're supposed to be doing. So it's all the all the behaviors of, of omission, that rather than the attention seeking mm -hmm. stuff that goes with kids. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Weiner, has there been any long-term research? that shows that one approach is better than another, or are you planning to do something like this? Or Well, one of the problems is going to be that for decades now, people are dealing with this, these behaviors as, as if they're a biological um, mm -hmm. efficiency, mm -hmm. and they're doing the kinds of treatments that I was indicating to you. Mm -hmm. And the problem is even the people that aren't doing the meds are still dealing with... Um, controlling the child, because mm -hmm. you think about how few people are really doing anything but charts and timeout chairs and reward systems, which are just institutionalization of uh, social patterning. Mm -hmm. So the problem is that people have to kind of work hard. It's like, it's like weight loss. Who's losing weight and what program works? And who just goes back and does the same eating behaviors they've always done, even if they lost weight for a little while? Mm -hmm. So the, the problem of showing long-term benefits is who's going to do the therapy and who's going who's gonna to participate and who's going to follow up and how they're going to figure out all these little subtleties that go on that reinforce the behaviors. Mm -hmm. So all I can talk about is the people I see and the people I work with and what mm -hmm. happens over time if they start to do these kinds of changes. Mm -hmm. And uh, the problem with data is going to be the same thing as we've got with the meds. They, they give somebody a stimulant for four months, and they say, look, you're doing better than the other people. 
yeah, after four months, all the medications are going to look better than anything has to do with learning to live in the world differently. Because mm-hmm. going to—it's it's the same thing with um, uh, bariatric surgery. People lose a tremendous amount of weight, and in 18 months, their body starts to get used to the change, and they slowly but surely start gaining weight back. Right, right. So it—it's it, problem is on what time frame you're looking, uh, how much participation you have, who the therapists are. Uh, mm-hmm. When you give meds, you have more control over the dose. Every all, every every tab of uh, Ritalin is the same, but you, you look at the differences about one therapist to another in terms of how well they can pick up on a an issue or how they even decide what the problem is going to be. Mm-hmm. And are adults usually then treated with uh, medications too? Yeah, it's the same thing. So they, adults with ADHD are usually on multiple meds. Not only on ADHD meds, but they're going to be on all sorts of anti-anxieties and antidepressants because they oh. get into the uh, system of med taking. Mm-hmm. So they, if you once you start doing that, you, you're treating each behavior problem with the, its designated medication. Mm-hmm. So the, the issue is going to be the outcome. The, the outcomes of all the therapies are terrible because I don't think anybody's really approaching the problem in terms of. Uh, in terms of psychology, mm-hmm. the psychology of the problem, rather than seeing this as a bio- biology, mm-hmm. they're always dealing with it as a deficit issue rather than an alternative way in which some people learn to live in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, then, is there anything else you'd like to say before we look at your book and services and how the listeners can reach you? Uh, just it, it, um, it takes time, like we're saying, to... Uh, to make meaningful changes in, in relationships and to help a person live more independently mm-hmm. and to be more cooperative and attentive to caring for others. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing to teach anybody to do. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Then would you tell us about your book and services you have and how the listeners can reach you and locate your book? So you can locate my book, uh, Parenting Your Child with ADHD, a no-nonsense guide for nurturing self-reliance and cooperation. You can you can access that book through Amazon or all the major booksellers. Barnes & Noble uh, stocks a copy of it in, in every store uh, that they have. And I have a website, um, com, and my name is spelled C-R-A-I-G, W-I-E-N-E-R. And on my website, you can uh, click on ways to get the book, and uh, you can click on uh, other kinds of materials at, uh, in the website about my views on ADHD and uh, how to uh, help uh, people change those behaviors. Great. Well, I appreciate this very much, Dr. Weiner. I know it will be interesting and helpful to those listeners that have children in their environment, and I assume that this is pretty common, and so I know it will be helpful to them to have this kind of information. So I thank you very much. Well, thanks for uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, speak on your show. Thank you. My second guest, nutritionist Julie Daniluk, hosts Healthy Gourmet on OWN, Oprah Winfrey Network, a reality cooking show that highlights the ongoing battle between taste and nutrition. Julie is a health expert, 
for the Marilyn Dennis Show on CTV and has appeared on numerous TV and radio shows, including The Dr. Oz Show, CTV's Breakfast TV, CP24's Wild on Health, and Lisa Live Radio. Television viewers will also recognize Julie from the busted segment of The Right Fit on OWN, where acting as a nutrition encyclopedia, she examines the foods people need to stay healthy. Her fun and engaging style comes in handy, creating recipes for Chatelaine magazine that are packed with health tips. After four years of rigorous theater arts training, Julie found herself reading more about nutrition than about Shakespeare. She had an insatiable appetite for figuring out how and why food affects us so profoundly. She returned to school to become a nutritionist, graduating from the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition and becoming a cooperative owner of one of Canada's largest health food stores, the BioCarrot Natural Food Market, as well as health editor for Viva Magazine, a national health publication with a circulation over 120,000 coast-to-coast. Julie's food activism has led her to speak to Parliament about the potential health risk of genetically modified foods, and in order to bring food advocacy issues to a wider audience, Julie has been the event producer for Biodiversity with David Suzuki and Food Shares Field to Table Festival. Julie's search for nutritional understanding has taken her around the world and provided one of her greatest joys to date, cooking on Greenpeace's tall sailing ship Rainbow Warrior during its GE-free New Zealand tour. After many years working on the frontier of nutrition, Julie's clients consistently ask for a menu planning cookbook. Her award-winning book, Meals That Heal Inflammation by Random House, is a number one Amazon bestseller. She has helped thousands of people enjoy allergy-free foods that taste great and assist the body in the healing process. I welcome you to the Holistic Health Show, Julie, and I look forward to hearing about inflammation and what we can do about it. Now, first, what is inflammation? Inflammation is the body's emergency response system. So it's the response of the body whenever there's been an impact, an injury, an infection, an irritation. Your body responds with a, with a healing crisis that allows you to pay attention to what's going on and know that that immune response is extremely important because it shuttles all the troops to the area. So when you see all those symptoms, the heat, the swelling, the pain, the irritation, that's actually all very important because mm-hmm. that actually gives your body the opportunity to, to have those issues dealt with quickly. Mm-hmm. So acute inflammation is very healing. Mm-hmm. It's only when the body isn't able to finish the cycle, when you're not able to complete the, um, the communication, mm-hmm. that you end up with chronic inflammation. Mm-hmm. And that's when we see all the disease states come up, arthritis, bursitis, cystitis, diverticulitis. You could literally write a rap song for every single itis that occurs in the world because people have inflammation that doesn't switch off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Acute inflammation, good. 
chronic inflammation, very bad. And we need to help the body complete the actual conversation of inflammation so that we can move into a powerful place of healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. So that's why I wrote my book, Meals That Heal Inflammation. Mm-hmm. Good. Now, what are the basic causes of inflammation? The real causes of inflammation would be the nutritional imbalances, weakening the immune system, and you're not having the, the actual ingredients you need to rebuild your body. Also, another major one is the toxins that are coming into our body mm-hmm. from our water supply, from our air, from our food. Um, that really creates a lot of irritation in our system. Mm-hmm. And if we have our immune system triggered, then we can start to see things that are totally inert, whether it be pollen, whether it be food, as an actual an irritant to mm-hmm. the body. And your body starts to have these allergic reactions that are very exaggerated. Mm-hmm. So that's an inflammation response that's not very useful to mm-hmm. your system. Mm-hmm. And that would be really great if we get to the toxins and remove them, get to the food issues that we have in the way of having a food that we're irritated by and temporarily take it out of the diet. Mm-hmm. And that's why Meals That Heal Inflammation was written so that we can give you foods that are very low in allergies. Mm -hmm. So we take out the wheat, we take out the dairy, we take out the sugar, we take out the corn, we take out the major irritants to the body so that it can rest and heal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other major one is hormonal imbalances Mm -hmm. are a huge cause. So if you have a really great example would be, say you have a thyroid imbalance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you have your actual thyroid hormone out of balance, it can create arrhythmia in your heart. Mm-hmm. It can create a real problem with your temperature so that you can't fight off infections properly mm-hmm. because you're not, your body temperature isn't running at the correct point. It can create major adipose tissue around your body where you gain weight mm-hmm. because you actually have your metabolism slowed down by your thyroid imbalance. So we're seeing how hormonal disruption mm-hmm. is playing a massive role in the issue of inflammation, and we have to look to our environment again and say, what are the fake foods, what are the fake estrogen mimickers coming in from our pesticides, coming in from dry cleaning fluid, coming in from our petroleum that we pump into our cars that actually disrupts our personal hormones? Mm -hmm. Thyroid, we have to look to, are you deficient in a nutrient that's causing your hormonal imbalance? So we're Mm -hmm. back to nutrition again. Mm -hmm. So every single cause of inflammation comes back to nutrition. Mm -hmm. Because if you have an injury, I have to give you super nutrition to give you the repair materials. If you have an infection, I have to give you immune nutrients like lots of vitamin C and plant sterols and all these things that your body uses to fight that infection. If you have a hormonal imbalance, we have to give you the ability to balance those hormones using nutrition. Mm -hmm. No matter what the cause is, the real amazing healing tool is food. Mm -hmm. Like Hippocrates really had it right, let food be thy medicine. If we can reach for food as a a healing tool, then we can address the chronic inflammation underneath. Mm -hmm. You're really hitting home, Julie, with that example of thyroid, since that Uh, seems to be the problem I'm going through right now. And slowly overcoming and it does relate back to the food so Mm -hmm. can you tell us then your personal story behind your book meals that heal inflammation 
My book um, was created because I did have a personal healing crisis. My digestive system was always a bit sensitive, and when I landed in Thailand, I ended up having a huge amount of bacteria arrive in a pad thai that I was eating. Mm -hmm. They were freezing and thawing the actual chicken, and it was older shellfish that was in it. Mm -hmm. And I ended up contracting some sort of bacteria that caused paralysis from the neck down. Mm. And I was laying in bed extremely ill and was rescued taken to a nursing station and pumped full of antibiotics to save mm-hmm. my life mm-hmm. and came home just decimated. Just my gut was, was just raw with infection. Mm-hmm. And I, it took me two full years to overcome ulcerative colitis as a result of that, per, mm-hmm. that horrible infection in Thailand. And I'm so lucky that I was able to overcome it mm-hmm. and am now sitting in absolute fantastic vitality and I just wanted to share that because I was so passionate that mm-hmm. people don't know that they could overcome bowel disease. They could overcome hormonal imbalance. They could overcome, you know, heart disease or arthritis or whatever you're up against. You can heal that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I've seen such powerful, powerful testimonials of people who are having results. Mm-hmm. And I just want to give people hope that this is, this is an incredible path to take. That's great, Julie. Thank you. Now, what are your non-negotiables when it comes to your diet? I absolutely personally cannot consume wheat flour or gluten. Gluten is literally the glue of the grain. That's where it gets its name from. And it contains some very difficult fractions that are extremely hard on the system. So you have glutenin, you have gliden, and you have lectins. These are all components of grain that make them extremely hard to digest. Mm -hmm. And while I was healing my my digestive system, I had to be so strict. I couldn't have even a kernel of wheat. Mm. So I just encourage people to check out the food allergies for themselves. And everyone has a different list of food allergies. You know, maybe for for you, we would need to, like if you have hyperthyroid, Mm -hmm. we'd have to be very vigilant about avoiding seaweed right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For other people who are dealing with severe sinusitis, maybe we have to remove dairy for them because dairy is a massive trigger to sinusitis. So I just ask people to be their own food detective, mm-hmm. that they really work to do a wonderful investigative report of what their personal food triggers are. And you need to do that by an elimination plan. So outlined meals that heal inflammation, I take people off the foods that irritate them for three solid months, and then we add them back one at a time to see if they are, in fact, the culprit of their pain and and irritation, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. their pain and inflammation. So I really recommend everyone trying it on. You know, uh, my, my yoga teacher said something very powerful to me once. Don't believe me. Just suspend your disbelief long enough to try it on. <laughs> That's you know, because mm-hmm. everyone, everyone's like, ah, oh, it's a lot of work. I'm like, can we just try it? Like, just try it for two weeks, and if you see any inkling of energy shift or more positivity or better bowel function or less pain, try it for another two weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, just keep mm-hmm. going with it. And I'm amazed at how many people make this a livet. So my whole belief is you've got to have a live it versus a diet Mm -hmm. because diets are like food prison. I'm not asking you to go on this restrictive phase forever. It's just an investigative report, 
and then we can put things back in to replace your fun so that you always have fun foods. Because if you don't have fun foods, then you start to feel that prison closing in on you. So the book's also full of joyful food and delicious food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should ask you right here about organic. Yeah, sure. Do you recommend organic? I'm a huge advocate for organic. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked in the organic industry for, for close to 20 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I started in my health food store, wow, 23 years ago that mm-hmm. I started in the health food trade. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm a big believer in organics. But my whole thing is don't let your finances delegate whether you embrace your health now, because a lot of people will say, oh, I can't afford right. organic food. I said, well, right. that's okay. You know, all I want you to eat is whole food, and whole food's dirt cheap. Whole mm-hmm. food's cheaper than McDonald's. Mm-hmm. If you actually do the math on how much it costs to go get lentils and broccoli and some, some beautiful, you know, wild, like some, I don't know, millet is one of the cheapest grains on the planet. Mm-hmm. You know, millet's a dollar a pound. Mm-hmm. McDonald's? is like $5 for a pathetic little hamburger and some really bad french fries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're looking if you look at the quality of our food supply and and cost it out by dollars. Mm-hmm. Actually organic is cheaper right. than fast food. As long as you're willing to cook it. I try to keep my recipes and my book, Meals of Heal, mm-hmm. very inexpensive. So we want to keep the time down to 20 minutes. 10 to 20 minutes. That's like reasonable what people are willing to do. Anything mm-hmm. longer than that, you just are going to lose people. I want to make it faster for you to eat healthy than it takes for you to walk through a drive-in. Mm-hmm. You know? Like if you have to line up at McDonald's and get your garbage food, how long does that take you? At least 15, 20 minutes. You've got to go to McDonald's. You've got to get it. You know, you've got to stand in line, whatever. You've got to stand you know, or sit in your car and wait for someone to make it. Or you can just quickly make something delicious. Like I have some emergency foods that are on hand when I travel mm-hmm. that are so delicious and so fast. They cost exactly the same or cheaper than what I'd spend at a fast food restaurant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm taking care of myself, and it just feels so good to have that fun in the moment, that tasty treat in the moment, but also to have that long-term energy right. so that you're having small fun of the taste but the long-term fun of the health. Mm-hmm. Julie, can you tell us a bit about your views on genetically modified foods? Yeah, it's a really good question. I find genetic modification a terrifying experiment. I think we're all guinea pigs in this massive experiment. The food supply is riddled with with GMOs, and one way to avoid that is to avoid the the key foods that are mostly genetically modified, and Mm -hmm. that would come down to... I think the, the biggest one is corn because mm-hmm. we eat corn in its whole form. So we have to be very diligent about the fact that corn has a, a major pesticide installed inside it. Mm-hmm. So I'm very concerned that they, they've genetically modified corn to include a gene from Bacillus thermogensis, which is a, an actual bacteria that's, that's used to really kill off flying insects. Mm-hmm installed right into the food that you consume. And the concern, the concern is that that may be doing damage to the gut lining. And there is now evidence to support with animal studies that there is gut damage occurring from genetically modified foods. So mm-hmm. corn is the biggest concern. Mm-hmm. And also standard soybeans, because mm-hmm. soybeans, like conventional soybeans, are very genetically modified. The other ones that you do have to be mindful of is cotton, the cottonseed oil and the canola oil mm-hmm. is genetically modified. 
most cotton and most canola is now genetically modified. Mm. So it's very hard to find that organically. And the last one that's shocking is we started to grow sugar beets genetically modified. And in the States, you, you guys also grow uh, crook, crookneck squash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Papaya from Hawaii was genetically modified. So, you know, a lot of people think, oh, the cat's out of the bag and there's billions of different experiments going. But really, commercially in production right now, there's only about eight mm-hmm. eight plants that we have to be really concerned about. So the genie's not out of the bottle. Mm-hmm. But saying that, the genie is soon to get out of the bottle because they want to genetically modify alfalfa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alfalfa is very, very much a game changer because it's the ground crop for 30% of the cropland in America and in Canada. So you can imagine how if you plant genetically modified alfalfa as a way to fix the nitrogen to the soil, then all of a sudden you're contaminating all the other crops that are being grown in that field Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the same decade. Mm -hmm. So I'm really concerned that we are allowing GMO alfalfa, and I really think if anyone's going to protest a particular crop at this time, Mm -hmm. we have to start making politicians aware of the dangers of genetically modified uh, alfalfa and really keep an eye on genetically modified apples, which are coming down the pipe, genetically modified rice, which is coming down the pipe, and salmon as well, genetically mm-hmm. modified mm-hmm. salmon. So um, if people are really concerned about this, I highly recommend they check out a couple websites that I'm very, very fond of. One is the nongmoproject.org mm-hmm. is a very powerful website that can teach you all about how to protect yourself because it's the actual verified seal, uh, the voluntary seal that says that this product has been tested from field to table to ensure that there is no genetic modification. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So people can really take that in. If people are listening from Canada, the big website here is it's called cban.ca, the Canadian Biotechnology Action Network. cban.ca is, is, keeps a finger on both the American issues and the Canadian issues. But there's also the responsible, the, oh, gosh, just look, if people Google Jeffrey Smith, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. MO, his book, which is, just astounding, called uh, Genetic Roulette, will teach everyone what they need to know about how to debate the issue with their colleagues, with their politicians, when people push back and say, oh, it's the same, I don't know what the problem is. He teaches people, like, word by word, how you can debate all of these ridiculous things that that the spin doctors in the GMO world at Monsanto and, and mm-hmm. DuPont mm-hmm. and all these, these other companies you know, they'll put out all these messages that it's safe, that it's substantially equivalent, and we have proof that it's that it's absolutely dramatically different and right. very much right. a concern. So mm-hmm. there's a very long answer to your question, but mm-hmm. I'm incredibly passionate advocate for organic as a solution to genetic modification. I think we need to go back to using heritage seed, and we need to really focus in on authentic, mm-hmm. authentic mm-hmm. farming methods. I agree with you 100%, and I'm glad to have those sites because I believe that we all have a responsibility for some political action in yes. our life, that that's part of holism, and so I'm glad to have those sites also, Julie. Well, I just want to acknowledge you for for keeping this up, and it really gives me such a, such a warm, happy feeling that you're taking this on at your age, because a lot of people start to feel disempowered, mm-hmm. and they feel like they, you know, they they kind of get tired from the fight, 
So I'm so grateful to you that you've got this this show mm-hmm. that you that you put on and that you really understand the importance of, of food sovereignty and mm-hmm. and food safety for the whole world. I think if we were to choose a human right, the human right to drink clean water and eat pure food mm-hmm. is definitely right. one of the most important because right. it's such right. a basic need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you, Julie. Now, what is your favorite sweetener and why, ah. and which ones do we avoid? Yeah, my favorite sweetener is raw honey. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. and the reason why is because raw honey, raw honey is full of peroxide that kills off infections really beautifully. It's been shown to kill H. pylori bacteria in the stomach if you have an ulcer, mm-hmm. and it's also extremely gentle to the bowel. So if someone's recovering from... Crohn's or colitis, it's the one sweetener that doesn't cause those problems. Saying that, you have to have honey from a good source because uh, honey that's coming out of China, they actually put out massive troughs of sugar outside the beehives. So the bees fly out of the hive, go three feet, Mm. feast on sugar, and bring that back to the hive. Mm. Incredibly bad. Mm -hmm. That's what's causing hive collapses in China to the point where they're having to hand-pollinate the trees because there's no wild bees in parts of China. Mm -hmm. So I really want people to avoid Chinese honey. That's the cheap garbage honey that you see that's pasteurized and put in plastic bottles and highly heated and treated. And and really embrace, like, get to know your local bee bee hive keeper because those people are holding a heritage to our future. Mm-hmm. We have to keep in mind that, that well over a third of the crops being planted require bees and other pollinators to, in order to create our food. Mm-hmm. So our bees are extremely important. So that's why I, I really support my, mm-hmm. my local beehive here. It's a beautiful organic beehive that's actually on an organic farm. And, and it's just such a beautiful way to ensure that we are keeping that farmer in good shape and, and nurturing those bees along because those bees are going to have to be reproduced around the world as we see the standard conventional farming methods causing our beehives across the world to collapse, mm-hmm. happening especially in California. And we need the bees in California. They pollinate so much fruit and so many of our almonds, like the California almonds, real problem there because it's all pollinated by bees. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I really want to keep people's interest in bees going. And and the honey itself is very nutritive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, embrace honey. If you can handle a caloric sweetener, if you want to have a sweetener that doesn't have any negative impact to your personal blood sugar, then try to fall in love with, with stevia, hidden behind lemon juice, because a lot of people will balk and say, ugh, stevia is gross, it's got a licorice note to it. Well, actually, any note in licorice is completely masked by lemon. So if you use lemon in combination with stevia, um, you can make lemon pies, you can make lemonade, you can make all these delicious treats like macaroons and have zero impact to your personal blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just have to learn how to, how to work with it. It doesn't taste great behind bitter things. So the flavor of stevia comes out if you try to pair it with coffee or chocolate. Mm -hmm. It's really best paired with with sour taste. A lot of people on vegan diets use guava. Guava? What are your views on that? Is it guava? Well, I know a lot of them use agave. Agave, that's it. Yeah, Yeah. agave. 
Agave is a sweetener that's made by processing the root of a very precious agave plant, which is actually a cactus, mm-hmm. often in Mexico. And unfortunately, the processing of it kills the plant. So it's not a very rejuvenative, it's, mm-hmm. not, a very, it's not a very environmentally responsible sweetener mm-hmm. because it destroys the plant. It also robs the, the natural habitat of, of the bat. So you, we are losing our, our another pollinator, our friendly bats. We are losing food for them in, in, too, in far too much a level. Also, the other issue with agave that I have a problem with is a lot of it is processed by taking aspergillus, which is a black mold, mm-hmm. actually making the sweetener by culturing it with black mold. And I don't think people respond well to that sweetener if they have a mold sensitivity because mm-hmm. it's made from mold. Mm-hmm. I want people to keep in mind that it's very high in fructose. Some people find when they investigate their agave source, it's actually been cut with corn syrup. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to indulge in agave, you must make sure that it's from an organic source mm-hmm. so that it really takes care of all these problems that I've brought up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not as fond of it as, as yeah. the honey, but I know as a vegan, you may want to try out coconut sap. You may want mm-hmm. to try out mm-hmm. yacon syrup, mm-hmm. which is a much more plentiful sweetener. Mm-hmm. Now, I use stevia. Yeah, stevia is amazing. Stevia is my absolute favorite, but of course you have to hide it behind the lemon for a lot of people because it's just too, it's got, it's too interesting a flavor. It's got that licorice back note that, that North Americans are not exposed to. In, in Europe, everyone eats fennel and anise and all those flavors, but here people are shy of that back note, that extra flavor in stevia. So cut it with lemon and make lemonade, and people will love it. Mm-hmm. Great, good. Now, Julie, yeah. what is your favorite anti-inflammatory on-the-go snack, and why? For a snack, you want an anti-inflammatory snack. Mm-hmm. Hemp seeds. Hemp seeds are absolutely remarkable little seeds. They're they're also known as hemp hearts. Um, they're the internal shell of the of the hemp seed. Of uh, the the great part of hemp hearts is uh, not only is it rich in omega threes, but it has a special hormonal fat called GLA, gamma-linolenic acid, which is very good for women's hormonal balance. Mm-hmm. Also uh, very rich in, in magnesium, which is very pain-relieving and very helpful for um, balancing muscle cramps and pain in the body. And then it also is rich in manganese, which is a wonderful nutrient for ligament and joint rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a good source of iron for women because a lot of women lose their iron and mm-hmm. become very fatigued and very immune deficient uh, with a lack of iron on board. So it's just a power, power superfood. And it's so portable and so fun as a snack. And it's easy to throw in a salad, a smoothie, or just eat it straight out of the bag. It's mm-hmm. so nutritious and creamy and delicious. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Good. Julie... Can you tell us about your book? And, sure. Neal's Appeal Inflammation is a scientific investigation of why you're inflamed. It's got 200 pages of science at the beginning, really carving out for you why am I inflamed? What are the core causes of inflammation? Is it, is it pain? Is the pain caused by an infection, an irritation, a hormonal imbalance? Am I dealing with, an, with any of these core issues? So I walk you through all that, and then I show you the anti-inflammatory testing phase where we take you off the inflammatory foods for, for a minimum of 12 weeks, 
and then I show you how to put them back in. And then the back of the book is full of gorgeous and delicious recipes that really enroll you in trying on the the anti-inflammatory plan. It really helps you try on the juicy livet, and it helps you stay out of that diet mentality because the food is really rich and delicious. It's not calorically restricted. There's lots of treats, and and you're not going to feel deprived on this diet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not a diet. It's a livet. (laughs) How can we locate the book? Well, it's available on Amazon. It's available um, in most large bookstores, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's available through Hay House in the United States. That's my publisher. It's Hay mm-hmm. House. So people may be familiar with hayhouse.com. Mm-hmm. Great prices on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So that's a good place to, to look because there is it's on quite a hefty discount at times. But, but if anyone uh, just wants it nice and simple, I highly recommend they check out my website because I have links to all the places to buy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can shop around off my website. And my website's Julie Daniluk, and my last name is spelled D-A-N-I-L-U-K.com. So juliedaniluk.com. And I have hundreds of free things on my website. I have so many free giveaways. I actually give away the food pyramid from my book and a six-page passport about the anti-inflammatory live it right on my website. So when you go on there, Definitely click on the link to download your free anti-inflammatory passport. And also, I strongly encourage people to check out my Facebook page, which is Julie Daniluk Nutrition, and befriend me on that because I am so happy to share every anti-inflammatory cool food uh, link, every, every study that comes out, every recipe I create will go up on those two places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Julie, are you available for consultation, or does your schedule not allow that? Actually, it does, yeah. I do see clients. Um, I'm extremely thorough with my clients. I I do a three-day food journal, and I get them to write down everything they're eating for three solid days, and then I crunch it through nutritional software where I I come up with how much protein, how how many uh, grams of carbohydrate are you eating, how many fats are you consuming, what kind of fat are you consuming, how much sodium are you eating, and all of that data helps me assess where your blind spots are, like where where are you breaking down your body? Where's your where's your inflammation coming from? I can see a lot of that, like Sherlock Holmes, from doing a food journal mm-hmm. and really really analyzing your food journal. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I come up with a menu plan that would work for you. And every, you know, there's not one size fits all. Maybe someone's allergic to eggs. Maybe someone is a vegetarian. You know, I have to factor in all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very thorough process, and and I just love working with people one-on-one, because I love to tailor things to them. I believe there's 7 billion diets for 7 billion people. Mm-hmm. There's not one way to do it, and, and I really love reaching out and, and helping people figure out what works for them. Mm-hmm. Now, would this be, uh, would people contact you through your website? Yes. Mm-hmm. So you just go to the contact page, just click on contact me, and start a, a nice dialogue and we can we can get uh, your food journal going. That's mm-hmm. the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Well, this has been so helpful. I could talk with you all day, Julie. You've got so much oh, knowledge, thanks. and I've got so many questions. But I know your time is limited. So, uh, mm-hmm. but I appreciate well, thank you. It. I'd love to do it again if you want to have me back. I really Good. appreciate it. Good. Great. Good. <laughs> and I appreciate this too, Julie. It's been great, and I'll look forward then to talking with you again. Great. 
Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Have a wonderful day. And you too. I thank you for joining me today on the Holistic Health Show. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, your host, wishing you a great week. <laughs>